0: We're looking at the first 20 or so verses of Mark's fourth chapter today. Last week I did say that this boat would reappear into the story. You remember, Jesus had made sure a boat was ready because he knew the crowds would become unmanageable. I also said it was also his intention to use the boat as a platform for preaching. And the nature of this message was that of the parable. Let's begin by reminding ourselves what a parable is. You may have heard it described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's as good as any. It's a natural story with a spiritual meaning. A spiritual lesson. Now the Middle Eastern people... I've always used parables. And there was a guy in the 12th century, a Jewish theologian and philosopher called Maimonides. And he wrote a great deal about parables and metaphors. And he he spoke about the balance we need to get. And cautioned against looking too closely at the finer details. There's There's a main lesson. And then details are added which are incidental. Merely to uh, fill the picture up, if you like. So we'll try to discover a balance view of this parable today. Now before we begin, I'd like to address this issue of using parables as a way to hide truth from people. I think the most obvious and quite startling fact is that Jesus intended some not to be saved... He used the parables on this occasion to be unclear. He wanted most of the hearers to remain in darkness. The other point is that parables are also used to make things clear. Jesus didn't think, right, I need to be unclear now. What I need is a good parable. He simply chose to make parables a blind spot For those hearers. It's not that the sower parable is beyond understanding by the average man. He could have used the same parable elsewhere to bring clarity to the teaching if he so wished. And anyone today, uh, maybe someone who's not one of God's elect even, can go into a bookshop, buy a Bible and read... Jesus' explanation of the sower parable. So even those who God's not even going to save can understand them. So Jesus simply chose this way of depriving people of understanding. He could have withheld salvation from this crowd by speaking Spanish. He could have withheld salvation from them. By just being somewhere else. He chose to withhold salvation from these people. By making them unable to understand parables. He has the sovereign right. To dispense salvation to some. And withhold it from others. And it's carried out precisely. According to the purposes of of his election. Well let's get into this then. Firstly then the seed. The seed is the word of God of course. The seed is being sown right now if you like. To each of you. But who is the sower in the passage? I think we should think of this referring firstly to Jesus Christ himself. God the Son came in human form and walked the same earth we're occupying right now. And he taught. He preached the message of the kingdom that God is the King of kings and he is calling people to be subjects of this kingdom. He sowed gospel seed. He left his own home, the glorious spiritual realm of that third heaven, and visited this field. The field is the world. And he sowed this seed with the intention that there would in due time be a great harvest. And so it is with his servants. They too are to be thought of as sowers. Some preach in church buildings like this. Others speak to people in city centres or climb on boxes and evangelise the masses who go to football matches. Or they might speak a brief word to a neighbour post a Christian leaflet through a door, post a comment about Christ on Facebook. Whatever the method, when you communicate the gospel message, you are a sower of God's seed. So now we know what the seed is, and we know that the Christian, in partnership with the Saviour, is a sower. Let's consider what happens when this seed is sown. Some of the seed sown by the farmer falls on the path. It's easy enough for the birds to see, and they immediately swoop down and take the seed. In his explanation, Jesus tells us that this picture is what happens with some people. They have given the seeds of God's truth, but Satan comes and steals it from their minds. Satan is involved, whether it's the individual angel himself or it's done through the agency. Of one of his millions of demons. Satan is the thief. How he steals this word, I don't know. Perhaps he causes people to think about their Sunday dinner or what will happen in the next episodes of their favourite TV programme. However, he does it, he ensures the message has gone in one ear and out the other. How important it is to listen. Have a look at this in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 and 14 says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Even for the people, even for the ones who've been redeemed, it's needful. They try to listen. Now look, I'm as guilty as anyone of struggling to maintain focus a lot of the time. It could be anything. I don't get enough sleep, or I allow um, I don't get enough sleep the night before, or I allow uh, other thoughts to swamp my mind. But whatever it is, it's my fault. Well, could could that picture describe you? Even just five minutes into this message, as it's all been a blur, then wake up and I'll try to keep you awake too. So that's one kind of hero. They just carry on shopping or whatever. They may attend church though. They may go to every meeting. They may even get involved and help the church in some way. But for all this, they're just pew warmers sitting in their bubble of darkness. The second result of sowing mentioned here is that some seed falls on stony ground. Now I'm, as you know, a recent convert to gardening and I can see that stony ground, which has only a thin covering of soil, isn't much good for growing things. Our parable shows us When seed falls into this type of ground, it can't put down proper roots. Its roots are very shallow. Well, The plant starts growing and for a while it flourishes and it looks like the good plants, the good crops. But when the strong sun comes out, there's a problem. The lack of deep roots means there's no moisture. So the sun dries up the plant and it withers and dies. Amongst all the people who hear the gospel, some receive it with great and immediate enthusiasm. They often surprise us with their rapid conversion. And we might even praise God for this miracle of grace. But there's something faulty with this apparent conversion. It's not an experience which began with true repentance. Repentance. Instead, it was just a quick decision to choose Christ for some reason or another. For some, they make these fake professions of faith because they don't like the feeling of being left behind when their friends claim to have been converted and they get baptised. You know, tragically, it's very possible that the friends that they're copying are as lost as them. Or well, it could be they saw it as a way to gain respectability. You might consider when church going was respectable, the churches were full to the rafters. And now it's not so respectable, well, hardly respectable at all. Many churches have all but emptied. It could be the novelty of a new way of life which attracted these people. Some are restless, aren't they? And always looking for the next project in life. But this person didn't have proper roots. You see, if you're to become a child of God, you have to have Christ Jesus as your root. You need that strength to hold you up and nourish you. It says here in Proverbs 12 and chapter 3. Proverbs 12 and 3 A man shall not be established, made firm, by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. The one in our parable hasn't been brought to the point where they feel the only remedy for their sinful state is Jesus. They haven't counted the cost of being a follower of Christ. They just want to launch out recklessly Into this new way of life. Some of you may have met people like this. Their heart isn't prepared soil but stony. And some sit in our congregations professing to be believers. But they're still dead in sin. Their doctrine might be okay but it's head knowledge only. They draw near to God with their mouth but their heart is far from him. The heart of stone hasn't been replaced with a new heart of flesh by God. It remains stony. If you are one of the very few people in this world who belong to God. Then be assured that he will test you. He will send evil as well as good your way. But if you're a believer. You'll have the faith to know that he does all things well. The hero in our account is sent a test. Some persecution comes his way. It doesn't have to be anything major. It could be he realizes his faith could lose him friends or family. He could face losing his job. He risks the business he's built up over many years. Whatever it is, something happens which makes him think. No, thank you. If this is what happens to a Christian, you can count me out. That idea reminded me of that little book, Pilgrim's Progress, a great book. The character, at one point, called uh, Pilgrim, he left the city of destruction. And he was accompanied at first by another called Pliable. Now, not long into their journey, they stumbled into a swamp called the Slough of Despond. And it was one of those trials which they had to face. Here's what it says. At this, Pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you have told me all this while of? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect betwixt this and our journey's end? May I get out again with my life? you shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on that side of the slough, which was next to his own house. So away he went and Christian saw him no more. In that story, the end of Pliable was a very sorry tale. And in real life, the end of the man or woman who's been faking their belief is terrible. They deny God as quickly as they claimed him. And they become what the Bible calls apostates. Forever abandoned by God. And those people become a joke to the people of the world which they so much wanted to get back to. If you are listening to this and you feel your heart is not right with God. Don't for one second think... I must be an apostate. If you have concern, if you want to be right with God, and and maybe you're not sure how, then be assured that you are not one of these people. But you certainly you need to just rely on God. Is he not able to is he not able to deliver out of every slough of despond? It's so simple, isn't it, really? All you you do is you just need to go and pray. You need to go now and go and pray. And just beg him. And plead with him. And keep going. Until you've offloaded all your concerns and your despair onto him. That's what he wants. You persevere, friend. He will bring healing. He will restore you. And remember I always say the Christian life brings more joy than can be found in any other religion or way of living. Let's move on to our third example with the weeds. The seed here doesn't vanish straight away and it doesn't fall on stony ground so it puts down some kind of roots. The problem here is that Uh, The ground isn't as sound as first thought. The ground's dominated by weeds. So the plant grows a bit, but it's soon overcome by thorns. So Jesus shows that this now refers to a man who apparently believes, but allows himself to be distracted from the Lord's work. It's said that these distractions include the cares of this world, And the deceitfulness of riches. What do they mean? The cares of this world could be anything which takes his attention. And the problem is that it takes so much of his attention. That the effects on his life which you'd expect from a believer don't materialise. Now listen, the responsibilities which pull the man away from the Lord could be legitimate. Legitimate. It's good to work for a living. It's good to spend time with your family. It's good to fight against injustice. But it's the amount of time you devote to them which matters. You know, I have a family. I spend time with them. I have hobbies and interests like shooting and fishing, which take up some of my time. There's nothing wrong with any of these. But if I allow any of them, to get in the way of my ministry, then there's a problem. And it's the issue of money. What does the Bible say? Well, you all know it. It's found in First Timothy chapter six and verse six. First Timothy six and verse six says, "Godliness with contentment is great gain, great gain." For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, clothes, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, they that want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil that is all kinds of evil. And if my Christian life is completely overshadowed by these things, you have every right to question whether i 'm even saved. The man described by the parable is in just that position for whatever reason, whether a legitimate responsibility Or a foolish greed for money. It was the ruin of him. Note that the thorns in the Bible. They symbolise the curse. And this man is a product of the curse. Like you and I. He's a child of Adam. And he shares his father's fate. By being subject. To a fallen nature within. And a cursed creation without. And so ends the hope of that man. He will share the same awful judgement as the ignorant shopper, the man who throws that tract in the bin, the inattentive pew warmer and any other false professor. Finally, we have, if you like, a success in the scattering of the seed. Some seed falls on good ground, it's proper soil, it's not stony. And it's not overtaken with weeds. In other words. It is prepared. The seed falls onto it. And takes good root. In its proper time it grows. And unlike the thorn covered plant. It bears fruit. Not just a little bit. But a lot. And here it is pictured for us. The result of the true conversion. Of a sinner to God. The gospel seed. Is received gladly. The message convinces the man that not only is he a sinner in the hands of a holy God, but that his sin must be punished. After all, God cannot let people off unless the proper punishment has been exacted. The man realizes the world's been visited by a redeemer, one who can save him from that terrible fate that he fully deserves. He is convinced that this encounter with the powerful gospel message is no accident. And he believes that the death of Jesus Christ had something to do with him. He is persuaded that somehow his sin was transferred to Jesus. And God the Father punished his own son with unimaginable fury in this man's place. He believes the penalty has been paid and he goes free. His sins all forgiven. Well, this man understood the message with his mind, just like the previous two did, but it was far more than that. His stony heart was removed and replaced with one that was inclined towards God. He repented of his sin. That is, he was unable to change his direction. From carnal pleasure seeking to wanting to do God's will. He was the only one to produce fruit. What is this fruit? The Bible uses that word as a picture in a variety of ways. But in this regard, it means it changes both in the man himself and in the people around him. He's changed in that he now hates sin. He wants to be free from sin in every way. He now finds the things he used to delight in no longer have the same attraction. He sees how some who he called friends no longer like his company. He prefers the fellowship of Christian believers to the people of the world. He loves to meet with the believers, to worship God. And he, she, shares the gospel seed with others and the Lord uses that seed. To fulfill his purpose of the salvation of others. And it goes on. And the reference to 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times in verse 8 that simply shows us the different, uh, how different converts end up producing different amounts of fruit. You see then the ground of a man's heart has to be prepared by God before any seed can flourish in it. Man's heart is corrupt, utterly corrupt. It cannot choose anything good. Oh, a man will persuade himself he's good. He tells himself his acts of charity, his kindness to others, makes him a pretty decent guy. Let me tell you what the Lord says about good people, so called, in Matthew 15 and verse 19 Matthew 15 and 19 says for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness blasphemies and so on that's what's in that's what's in man's heart. Mm. The natural man cannot choose God. And it's worse than that. If you are not in Christ right now, you cannot do anything which pleases God. God made a plan before the world existed. He, he decided to create this race of men. And their fall into sin was inevitable. And he purposed to save some. And at some point. After one of these elect people have emerged into this world. God the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. He prepares their heart for the seed. And then. He brings them into contact with a Christian. Who shares the gospel message with them. He receives the seed of the word of God. And it takes root in him. And he's saved. And when he dies. The grave won't hold him. And he will be resurrected to eternal life. Which are you? What type of hero friends are you? Has this message been completely lost on you? Have you been thinking about your dinner? Or are you one who likes this message. And wants to immediately join the club. And proudly show off your new religious self. An identity that won't really stand up to testing. Or maybe you're interested and want to take this thing further but you're too busy with responsibilities or you love money too much. It saddens me when I hear people put off trusting in Jesus. I think it's fair to say that as a general rule God will never save those people. I mean, to be in a position where you realise you're not right with God, you've offended them, you need to go to him and plead forgiveness, but you'll put it off because you're too busy. That's not, that's not real regret or repentance or anything, is it, really? So sad. Sad. I have friends and family who were in that position, who told me ten and twenty years ago of how they plan to, they, they plan to get right with God really, real soon. It's still there, still there in the world. Well, however you receive, friends, what I've said today, unless you repented and trusted in Christ, you are lost. You are under the shadow of God's condemnation. You have no right to believe God feels anything but hatred towards you. Even the good things he sent your way will be counted as evidence against you in the court of God's judgment. You stand guilty and a sentence, as you know, is an eternity apart from God. But what if you're a believer? What if you are a believer, someone who at some point received the word gladly? Not because you were better than anyone else, but simply because God chose you and you believed. And now you're bearing fruit, especially the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and so on. You've been brought out of darkness into God's marvellous light. All your sins, past, present, future, wiped out forever. And you look forward with me to a paradise of unspeakable joy and happiness. God's word to you today is that you should be thankful. Praise is holy name for everything. And be fervent in sharing the word with others. Spread the seeds of the gospel abundantly. And experience the joy of serving God And know for sure, know for sure that every instance of seed scattering will be successful. God tells us as much here in Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper. In the thing where to I sent it. Amen.